the gift of speaking in tongues. Without a doubt, this is the most controversial spiritual gift within Christianity today. Without a doubt, it is also one of the most prevalent spiritual giftings within the New Testament. So what has happened? How has this incredibly prevalent New Testament spiritual gift become such a gift full of confusion, disunity and controversy? I would like to submit to you that many have attempted to teach on this spiritual gift of speaking in tongues before. But they have mainly focused on the theological aspects of this gift, while not adequately explaining or teaching the practical aspects of it. Imagine this. Imagine a heart surgeon who is standing in a lecture hall teaching his students. This heart surgeon has been studying himself how to do a heart transplant for 12 years. He knows everything there is to know about how to do a heart transplant academically. He knows what every book teaches on it. He even wrote the book on it. All this while having himself never performed a heart transplant before. If you went to him and asked him to teach you how to do a heart transplant and based off what he teaches you goes and you go and you attempt to do a heart transplant. Would someone not get hurt? Wouldn't that be something we deem as crazy? In fact, no university or college would allow any doctor to teach how to do a heart transplant if he himself hasn't done hundreds before. Because we all know that mere academic understanding or a theological understanding of any subject is not enough to take us through to the practical aspects of it. In fact, if we were to learn from a heart surgeon who has never done any heart surgery before and we attempt to do a heart surgery ourselves, someone may even get hurt. Someone may even die. And that is exactly what has happened today. Many of you have gotten hurt. Many of you have gotten confused about the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues because you have been taught all the theological aspects of it by people who have never done it themselves. And if we don't practically do it ourselves, we are actually disqualified from teaching all practical aspects of it, just like a heart surgeon would be disqualified from teaching someone how to do a heart surgery if they don't have experience themselves. Today, we'd like to negate that. We want to stop the hurt and the confusion that have come about because of bad teaching. And so in this teaching, we are not only going to speak about the theological aspects of this gift, which is incredibly important in of itself. 
but we're also going to talk about the practical aspects thereof. Because you will soon realize that the practical aspects of this gift is from what most of the Bible teaches and that the letters written by Paul regarding the spiritual gift of speaking tongues were written to churches who were already practically exercising this gift. And so if we don't practically exercise it ourselves and we try and understand his letters, we may get confused on what he's really trying to say. So I hope for this teaching to give you a balanced, practical and theologically sound outlook on this spiritual gifting. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Satan has tried to bring confusion regarding this gift, and it would be good for us to ask the question of why. This is the most controversial gift in the body of Christ today, and that controversy in of itself should speak to us about how badly the enemy wants us confused for some reason. And I want to submit to you that you will be discovering those reasons in this video today because it is deeply involved with how we fight against this kingdom. If you are in, on the opposing side of a war, you will try and make take your opponent's weapons away. You will try and make them de-weaponized de so they can't fight. And that's exactly what the enemy is trying to do with this gift of speaking tongues. He's been trying to snatch it away from many believers so that they can be de-weaponized. They can't fight against him the way that they were called to. And so in this complete speaking in tongues teaching, we will be discussing the following aspects. The three goals of the gift of tongues. Common misunderstandings. Bad experiences or counterfeit speaking in tongues in the church. Correct practice and procedures of the gift in both corporate and private environments. For who is the gift of tongues? Is it for everyone? Is tongues the only sign for baptism of the Holy Spirit? The practical aspects of the gift of tongues, like how it is exercised. And so, as you can see, this is going to be a very in-depth teaching. And with that, we want to establish two rules as we go into this. Number one, we are going to rely on the Bible to inform the foundation of this teaching. While our experiences are important to understand and take into account, really, we want the Bible to speak for itself. And our experiences can then serve as confirmations. It can, it can help us understand what the scripture meant better etc. And so we will be talking about our experiences too. But because we're going to be talking about scripture and using scripture as our primary source of informing and answering our questions, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture in this teaching. And so please bear with me as we go into this, because I believe it will reward you in the end with a very good and solid understanding of this very important gift. And rule number two 
is that we will not allow our perceptions to be tainted by our denominational lenses. We all have a way of thinking of things. And that has been influenced by our previous church denomination or movement that we have found ourselves in. And so we tend to look at certain theologies through the lenses of that denomination or that movement. But today we're going to take these off. We're not going to we're going to say we want to look at this from a clean slate and we're going to allow scripture to speak for itself. We're not going to read scripture through some dirty lens. Rather, we are going to ask the Father to give us his eyes to see. So enough with the introductions. Let's get right into it. Spiritual giftings have been given by our Father to empower us to accomplish the fullness of our callings. They are very important in our lives. And their importance have often been unrealized in the body of Christ. Spiritual giftings, all spiritual giftings, set out to accomplish three goals. Firstly, they serve as edification to the body of believers. Secondly, they serve as a witness to the lost. And thirdly, they serve as personal edification to us. For example, if we use the gift of healing to inform these goals, the gift of healing provides edification to the body of believers and that when someone has the gift of healing and there is healing necessary within the body with someone having a sickness or an ailment, they can come into their church or their fellowship and they can pray for someone to get healed. And when that person gets healed, there is edification that has taken place in the body of believers. Secondly, as we mentioned, the spiritual giftings have a goal of being a witness to the lost. That means that when we go outside the walls of the church or outside to the places where Jesus often went, we see that he met with people who were lost, the lost, unbelievers, people who don't believe in God or people who are in sin. And what he would do is he would love them and his spiritual giftings would be used in combination of his love to show God's love to the person. For example, he often healed people, people who didn't know God or barely knew God. And that was a sign, a witness to the lost where they had a heart transformed. They said, I want to be like him. What, who is this man that he cares for me, that he would heal me of my ailment? That is the witness to the lost. And then thirdly, every spiritual gift has the goal of personal edification. I want to submit to you that if you walk in spiritual giftings, no matter which one, it will serve as personal edification to you. I've often said, and just as I have often found in my life, that when I have gone out to pray for someone and they have gotten healed, for example, that has often changed me more than it has changed the person I was praying for. Because in that moment, the love of God is poured into me and out and I become a vessel where he can work through. And that really changes us. I almost want to say more than anything else. 
is when we become a love, when we walk in the love of Jesus for others to see. And so that's how spiritual giftings also provide personal edification. These three goals are important to understand because, as I mentioned, they are not just for the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy, but all spiritual gifts, including the gift of tongues. Therefore, an accurate understanding of the gift of tongues will need to make way for all three of these goals to be accomplished. When we are done with this teaching, we will need to understand how the gift of speaking in tongues allows us to be edification to the body of believers, to be a witness to the lost, as well as how it will provide personal edification to us. That is how the gift of tongues will be exercised in its fullness. It must accomplish all those goals. Generally, we allow the spiritual giftings to accomplish these three beautiful goals. However, with the gift of speaking in tongues, oftentimes we have dampened or disallowed the gift of speaking in tongues and those practicing it from reaching these three goals. And it is because of three main reasons. It is important to understand these three reasons, because if we don't understand where the pitfalls are regarding how we are setting out to understand this gift, we may fall into them. These three reasons are the following. Misunderstandings of scripture, bad experiences, or trying to understand a spiritual gift with our carnal mind. Let's discuss them quickly. Firstly, in terms of the misunderstanding of scripture, we need to have a belief in a gift of tongues that is practically applicable. That means that, like I mentioned earlier in the teaching, we need to be able to practically exercise it if we want to be able to accurately teach it. And on top of that, if our understanding of the gift of tongues is one that does not see the gift of tongues being exercised consistently around us in our churches, etc., then we need reevaluation. Because the gift of tongues was a gift that was consistently and numerously exercised within the early church. We see various scriptural examples, which we will soon discuss. This was not just a once-off event. It was not an event under extremely rare circumstances. In fact, it happened quite often in the new church. We also need to beware of over-spiritualizing the gift. Because the gift of speaking in tongues is so mysterious and so different and often considered weird. I mean, speaking in a different language or foreign language like we see in Acts 2, it's def def definitely something very miraculous. And so the mystery and the mysteriousness about this gift often leads people to have ideas about what it's supposed to look like that is over spiritualized and outside of reality. It is not really how it looks. And so people will never really do it because their idea of what it's supposed to be like is just not what it is in reality. That is why teaching is important. Teaching that is accurate and good. So people can be edified and accurately understand what this gift looks like in the real world so they can exercise it themselves. 
and not be fooled by over spiritualizing it into some unattainable spiritual gift that in the end of the at the end of the day, no one actually uh, practices it. The second reason that this gift is misunderstood or often quenched to reach all of its goals is because of bad experiences. Now, I am very much aware that there is a counterfeit, evil, demonic spirit that has infiltrated many churches. And there is a counterfeit for every single spiritual gift that God has given us. No doubt about that. However, with all that in mind, we shouldn't be ignorant of the enemy's main plan with anything counterfeit. And that is that he wants to persuade us differently from actually exercising this gift. He doesn't want us to do it. He wants to make us get hurt. He wants to persuade us to rather excommunicate anyone who practices it, etc. He wants us to be confused of what is original and what is the counterfeit. And when he has accomplished that, he has disarmed us and he has succeeded in that. And so we cannot throw out the gifts or quench the Holy Spirit if we've had a bad experience with a counterfeit gift or if we're afraid of the counterfeit. That is not a biblical response. And the number three reason of why we can dampen or quench the gift of speaking in tongues to reach all of its goals is because we're trying to understand a spiritual gift with our carnal minds. And that brings out about a lot of confusion. We read in Romans 8 verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. To put it shortly, the carnal mind, which we use to often think about things, does not like spiritual things. It does not like being obedient to God's law. It does not like prayer. It does not like fasting. It does not like reading or studying the Bible. It may not even like watching this video. At the end of the day, the carnal mind doesn't like anything to do with God. That is what this battle is. That is why Jesus fasted in the wilderness. That is why we need to put our flesh on the altar. And so with this, I want to submit to you that people have often tried to reject this gift or speak out against it from their fleshly perspective because their flesh simply hates it. So we want to we're going to speak about what that means a little bit more later, but we want to keep that in mind. We want to go into this teaching with the idea that we're not going to let our flesh speak loudly. We're going to let the spirit speak to us. That is incredibly important if we want to talk about or teach or understand spiritual giftings. And so let's jump right into scripture In Acts 2. We pick up on the first time that this gift ever appears and you may all know it, but let's dig in to see the important details of this passage. Acts 2 verse 3 and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. 
And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria and Pomphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Credence and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. And so in Acts 2, we read about this amazing and miraculous and famous event where the Holy Spirit pours into the upper room, being poured out on the people there. And as they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they started speaking in tongues and prophesying. Speaking in tongues in this account is explained. It is explained when the people start speaking in their own native language. And the others hear them in their own native language, even though they are of different nations and different languages. Therefore, there was an amazing miracle taking place where the people could understand each other, even though they shouldn't be able to. In this instance, the gift of tongues serves to reverse the curse of the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, we have God splitting the nations, confusing the languages with it so that they can't go and work together because God's, as he said himself, nothing will be impossible for them. So God confused the languages in order to limit them from their worldly pursuits, from their pursuit of this kingdom of darkness of our enemy. But the gift of speaking in tongues reverses this curse for the sake of the kingdom of light. It allows us to reach unbelievers or people who don't believe, people who don't know God or who barely know God with the gospel as a witness to them. As in this instance, it was a miracle to many nations there. And it allowed them to, number one, see the miracle that they could understand each other. But number two, also hear the message that the Lord has for them. As it said in the scriptures, they proclaimed the mighty works of God. And therefore, the mighty works of God was perceived and heard. This is what this account of speaking in tongues accomplishes. It is accomplishing that goal we talked about earlier of being a witness to the lost. Acts 2's example of the gift of tongues is oftentimes pointed to and agreed on about how this gift was exercised. We will now look at 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's writings on the gift of tongues. Paul gives us the most information about this gift because of his exceptional knowledge on the gift and extensive explanations on it. Why was Paul so eager to explain this gift in such detail? Because Paul himself practically had experience with it. He actually said that he speaks in tongues more 
than everyone else he was writing to. That makes Paul a pretty good teacher. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, before we even read further, I want to point out something amazing. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual giftings. Why does he talk about love first of all? Because if you know about the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, you will know it as the love chapter or the chapter where God defines what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, etc. And now the next chapter is this chapter we are at where Paul actually starts explaining the gift of tongues in great detail. And so what is important to understand is that the gift of tongues was so important to Paul that he decided to write it right after speaking about love, about right after giving us the most detailed definition of love. That means that tongues is pretty important for the sake of love, for the sake of us to walk it out in love. You see, the spiritual giftings is a primary way of how we demonstrate love. And if you don't have the spiritual giftings and don't exercise them, you will struggle to love because like we mentioned, the spiritual giftings are going to be edification to yourself so you can love better. It can be a witness to the lost so you can love your neighbor and those lost. And it's edification within the body of believers so you can love those close to your family and friends. Ultimately, all this is how we love God. And so now you can see how Loving God and loving your neighbor, the spiritual giftings are essential for accomplishing it to its fullest potential. When we read on in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about speaking in tongues and he explains the nature of the gift in his mind. He says, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, if you've been paying attention to Acts 2, which we just read, you should be scratching your head at this point because what Paul just described as how tongues is for him seems contradictory to what tongues was in Acts 2. I mean, let's just have a look at it. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, he says that he doesn't speak to men, but to God that no one understands him and that he utters mysteries in the spirit. However, in Acts 2 verse 6, we read that they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. 1 Corinthians 14 says they don't speak to men but to God, but Acts 2 says that they were understanding each other 
They weren't speaking just to God and not to men. They were speaking for men to hear. And they weren't uttering mysteries because these men could understand. It wasn't a mystery to them. Seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4 also says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Additionally, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 17 says, For you may be giving thanks well enough while speaking in tongues, but the other person is not being built up. And then in contradiction seemingly to that, Acts 2 verse 11 says, Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. 1 Corinthians 14 in this case is talking about the one who speaks in tongue does not build up the church, does not build up anyone else, but simply builds up himself. But in Acts 2, they were hearing the mighty works of God. They were proclaiming it to others and others were perceiving and hearing the mighty works of God and they were being edified. It wasn't just personal edification like in 1 Corinthians 14, as Paul is describing. So is this a contradiction of Scripture? I want to submit to you that no, it isn't. We are simply seeing tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues, being used in two different places to accomplish two different goals. But it's the same gift. Obviously, how you exercise a gift will change based on which goal you want to achieve. For example, in Acts 2, The goal was to reach unbelievers or people who weren't all the way in the faith yet. It was a witness to them. It was edification to those in the room. That's why they could first see the miracle and rejoice in the Lord and also hear the mighty works of God spoken in this gift of tongues to each other. There was a corporate edification happening there. And that was the goal of tongues in that instance. However, in 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul describes the nature of the gift of tongues here, he is talking about it in a different context. And that is for the edification of the individual, a private edification. Just like we talked about how healing can edify someone else when we pray and they get healed, but also we get changed when we pray for someone. Similarly, the gift of tongues, we can pray in the gift of tongues and receive personal edification, where we speak not to men, but to God, where no one understands us, for we utter mysteries in the spirit. This is what Paul is describing. If we are to believe that the gift of tongues is exclusively for the point of reaching the goal of being a witness to the lost, then this scripture would be a contradiction. But it won't be a contradiction if we understand that there is also application for the gift of tongues to be personal edification, where it's not necessarily about speaking in different languages to other men, but rather here speaking to God as Paul describes. Let's read further about what Paul says about the gift of tongues, and we will discover more about its nature. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 14. 
For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Paul says something interesting. He says that when he prays in tongues, his mind is unfruitful. Remember that carnal mind we spoke about that so often gets confused with the spiritual things of God and doesn't want anything to do with it. In the gift of tongues, we actually shut off and shut out the carnal mind, the flesh from intervening. You don't pray with your mind when you pray in tongues. You rather pray with your spirit. It is also written that the spirit intercedes for us with groanings inutterable. And so going on, he also talks about how the speaking in tongues is something that he can sing in. And he calls it also praying in the spirit. He defines praying in the spirit as speaking in tongues. This is important for our personal Bible study, because whenever we read about praying in the spirit in another place, we will understand that he is talking about praying in tongues, because here Paul has to find that praying in the spirit is the same as praying in tongues. A large devotion of Paul's letters regarding the gift of tongues is actually on procedure. And that is how to exercise the gift properly and orderly. It is important for us to exercise any spiritual gift according to the goal we want it to accomplish. If we want speaking in tongues to accomplish a certain goal, we should exercise it in a way that will accomplish that goal. And if that is reaching unbelievers, we should exercise it in a way that will reach them. If that is edifying the body of believers, we should exercise it in a way to reach them. Or if the goal is simply to edify ourselves, we can exercise it in a way that is appropriate for that. And so Paul talks about how do we do that? Because as you will soon discover, the church of Corinth, they struggled with this. They struggled to use the gift in a way that is the best way to use it. They used the gift in a way that it should be used when you are doing personal edification, when they are in a corporate environment which doesn't make any sense. Let's read about it. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5. No, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Now, Paul is speaking about how to exercise the gift of tongues in a church setting or in a fellowship setting where there are other people around us. And he is saying that when it comes to that setting specifically, then 
prophecy is often a better gift. Note that he is not saying that the gift of prophecy is a better gift bar none and that's the end of it. No, but rather when it comes to a building and edifying others. If there is no interpreter for the gift of tongues, because if we exercise the gift of tongues and we speak out and there is no interpreter in the room, there is no one who has the spiritual gift of interpreting to interpret what we are saying, then we cannot bring about something to the body or contribute something by our spiritual gift that will actually edify them. We will rather be speaking into the air and no one will understand what we are saying. And in that instance, Paul is saying it's better to then just rather prophesy, have the gift of prophecy, because then people will understand what you're saying since you're speaking their language. When we read on in verse nine, we see so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So if yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church, therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. In the church of Corinth, the issue was that many were speaking in tongues, but they were doing so without letting interpreters interpret what is being said or without there being interpreters that have been granted an interpretation. They were just speaking into the air a language that were for their personal edification. There was a prayer language that was supposed to be only to God, but and not to men. But they were uttering this language in a corporate way for everyone to hear over a microphone, if you will, or out for all to hear. And it wasn't helping anyone because they were misapplying the gift. He goes on and says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words in my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul is writing this letter to a specific church. He is not writing this letter to us, but he is writing it for us and for us to read. The distinction is important for us to make because he was writing and addressing and replying to certain issues that were in that church. And so he will speak in a way of addressing those issues. He is and we need to be mindful of those issues when we read his letter so we don't misinterpret what he is saying. The issues that he were addressing were as an issue of disorder. People were coming together and they were eager to exercise their gift of tongues, which was great. And Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And that is great what you are doing. I encourage you in speaking in tongues. But when you come together, in the scenario of when you come together, please speak and let there be an interpreter who interprets what is being said so that everyone one may be built up. Everyone may understand. Everyone may receive a word, a knowledge, a revelation. Don't exercise your gift in a way where it is only supposed to be to God and not to men. 
You see, there is a place where God will grant interpretation, where he wants to speak through the gift of tongues to a corporate environment, a fellowship. There are other times when God wants to use the gift of tongues to simply edify ourselves on a personal level. And then we speak to God and not to men. He is saying you need to understand which goes where. Don't go and just speak in tongues for an hour in church and nothing is ever said that makes any sense to those around us. You know, it would be like taking a microphone and speaking in tongues for an hour in front of church and no one knows what is being said. And then we go home. That is not edifying anyone. But if there is an interpreter, they can hear what is being said with the gift of interpretation. They can interpret what is being said and they can give a revelation, a teaching on what the father is revealing through that man speaking in tongues. The other issue that this church was facing in Corinth is that many people were speaking at the same time. And we see that in some Pentecostal churches today as well, where people with the gift of tongues become overzealous and they speak all at once and no one can understand anything that is being said. That is not edifying the body. That is edifying the person speaking possibly, but it doesn't help everyone else around. When you come together, come together with the point of edifying each other, building each other up, teaching and providing revelation to one another. Some have taken these verses of Paul to mean that we should never speak in tongues in a church and that tongues should never be exercised within those confines and in those walls. However, this is an out of balance teaching. It is not what Paul is saying. He is saying that it is not good to speak in a tongue when there is no interpreter that it can interpret. But I want to submit to you that it is good to speak in tongues in a church environment, a fellowship with people around you corporately when there is an interpreter. And then people can be built up. And I also want to ask you, how will you know if there's an interpreter in a congregation? Will you not know there is an interpreter because you have spoken? You see, brothers and sisters, there is a procedure that we need to follow. And the procedure is important because we don't want people to throw out the gift of tongues out of a church environment completely. And we also don't want the gift of tongues to be used in orderly and improperly. Let's see what Paul says on that procedure. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 27, he says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Verse 39 so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Paul says that we should never forbid speaking in tongues as long as it is done decently and in order. He t teaches us that we should speak two or three at the most, one at a time and let there be someone to interpret. And if there is no interpreter, they should keep quiet and pray to God alone. Do you remember how Paul describes speaking tongues as personal edification? He talked about how it is praying not to men, but to God. 
That is what we are to do in a church setting when there is no interpreter. And what does that look like? It simply means that very softly we pray in tongues or we pray in our mind to the Father, but not in a way where we disrupt the service or cause disorder. And secondly, he also then goes on and he says that there must be an interpreter. Now, as I mentioned, how will we know there is an interpreter? It is important to understand that we will only know there's an, if there's an interpreter if we allow people to speak in tongues. And if there is no interpreter after someone has spoken in tongues for a little while, then no harm done. Then that person can simply go and speak to God and not to men, because then that tongue is not necessarily not to be spoken, but it is to be spoken by that person for his personal edification. And so with this, now we cannot, we don't forbid speaking in tongues, but we also don't allow it to have any disorder in the church when we allow everyone to speak at once or for people to speak when there is no one at all to interpret for them to speak for long amounts of time. Then Paul then continues in 1 Corinthians 14 from verse 21, and he writes to us about for who the gift of tongues is. Now, the following passage is very important because Paul is now actually going to be explaining the different manifestations of the gift of, of tongues in terms of reaching all of the three goals that we started with. The goal of witnessing to the lost, being edification to the body of believers and personal edification. He is going to explain these three goals and how they differ. Verse 21, he says, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, Paul again brings about a seeming contradiction in this passage. He first says that the gift of tongues is for unbelievers. But then a verse later, he says that if unbelievers enter while all of you speak in tongues, will they not think that you are crazy and out of your mind? So how is it that he says that tongues is for unbelievers, but then he says unbelievers will think you're crazy while you do it? That doesn't make any sense unless, of course, he is again speaking of the gift of tongues being used differently. The gift of tongues indeed is a sign for unbelievers because in Acts 2, we see how it was. In Acts 2, we see how they were unbelievers or people who are barely coming to faith and they were hearing people speak in their own language and they were praising God for this, for this sign. 
Therefore, the unbeliever was impacted because he has received interpretation. He was able to understand what was being said. But notice how Paul says, if you come together in a church and all of you speak in a tongue, that means all at once. And it's this crazy thing and there is no interpreter, then unbelievers will think that you are out of your mind because they will come in bewildered about everyone just speaking in this weird language and they have no idea what is being said. They're not being upheld. They're not being convicted. They're not. Nothing is happening. And in that case, that's why Paul says prophecy would be better. So it simply comes down to the gift of tongues as an acts two. How, how it was there. The miracle of the foreign languages is a sign for the unbeliever. However, the gift of tongues, as Paul has mostly described here in 1 Corinthians 14, is often for the believer when it is about personal edification, when it is for you speaking to yourself and to God, not to men. And that is not for unbelievers. That is for believers instead. He is simply talking about the different goals of the gift, how there's a goal where it's targeted towards unbelievers. There's a goal where it's targeted towards believers, whether that's the personal believer or the body as a whole who receives interpretation. That's simply what he means by this. And it's not really a contradiction as long as we have a practical grasp and understanding of the gift of tongues. I would like us to speak about the practical aspects of the gift of tongues and how it is exercised practically. Those who hold to the belief that the gift of tongues is exclusively for speaking in another foreign language, like we see in Acts 2, would need to explain how this gift is exercised in that way. Let's talk about it. What would it really look like? If we are met with an unbeliever, someone who speaks a different language than we can speak, how will we speak in tongues to them? If we know we have the gift, how is it going to happen? Will God suddenly make our mouth move involuntarily and we speak suddenly Spanish or French or Sutu or Sichuan, some other language, whatever it is? Or will it need to be an action on our part. And what kind of action is it? I want to submit to you that's pretty simple. When we look at the gift of healing, for example, the most powerful healings ever in scripture were done when there was action behind the words. For example, we see how Peter told the layman, I don't have money, but rise up and walk. Peter didn't just walk by the man and say, Oh God, please heal him. No, he walked up to the man with action and he said, rise up and walk. He put his works down. He had an action. He had faith. That's what faith is. Faith is an action. And similarly, I want to submit to you just like the greatest miracles in the Bible were all done through actions by the miracle workers. the gift of tongues, like all spiritual giftings, require action from our part. That means that God is not going to take over our mouth. He's not going to start making us speak when out of our control. 
Rather, it is going to be in our control and we will be able to open our mouth and speak. This is not to say that we cannot be overwhelmed by the spirit and be led to speak in tongues or to do things of the spirit. Of course, God can sometimes move powerfully through us. But at the end of the day, he doesn't do anything against our control. Like we usually still have control of what God does. He is a gentleman, right? He doesn't just um, control us like a robot or a puppet on strings. And so when we are faced with someone and there is a miracle that needs to take place about speaking in a foreign language, God isn't going to take over our mouth and we're going to suddenly now speak Spanish or whatever language. Rather, we are going to go in faith. We're going to open our mouth and start speaking. If the Spirit leads us to speak in a foreign language and tongues, that's going to happen. We are going to speak and forth will come a different language. To us, that language will not be understood. We won't know what we're saying, possibly, because we don't know the language. But the person who hears it will, because they know the language. Remember what we said. The carnal mind does not partake in the act of speaking in tongues. Paul himself said that my spirit speaks while my carnal mind is absent from it. Therefore, the carnal mind is unable to understand what is being said by someone who speaks in a tongue. Therefore, when you speak in tongues in a different language, you won't yourself know what is being said because you don't know the language. And if you understand this, you will now know why the people in Acts 2 were not really happy with what was going on. There were people saying these men are drunk while they were speaking in tongues because they were hearing with their ear. They were listening with their carnal mind, but their carnal mind wasn't able to understand it. And because their carnal mind wasn't able to understand it, they concluded these men are drunk. This is not of the Holy Spirit or whatever other conclusion they wanted to come up with. And today, many come to the same conclusion because they're trying to understand with their carnal mind. But the carnal mind doesn't understand the gift of tongues. It doesn't understand the words. It is a different language, a language that it can be on this earth for a different person to understand, like Spanish, or it can be mysteries in the spirit, as Paul described in 1 Corinthians 14, where no man can understand, no carnal mind understand, no one can understand, but God only he understands. And when we've successfully spoken in tongues to an unbeliever as a witness to them, and they understand and hear the language, that would be words that proclaim the mighty works of God that will draw them to their knees and cause them to encounter their God, like we see in the book of Acts chapter two. And then in corporate environments, what does it practically look like in something like a church or a fellowship? What would it look like to speak in tongues and what should it look like? According to everything we've been reading in scripture, it should look something like this. You will have a prick on your heart if the father wants you to speak in tongues. You will then go if there is an elder, if there is a leadership, you will approach them with this, that the, this thing that the father put on your heart. And they should not completely forbid it, according to scripture, but at an appropriate time, 
they should allow you to share what the Father has put on your heart. You can then continue as they allow to speak in tongues. And this is one, two or three people at the most only speaking one at a time. And then they will speak into the crowds. Usually the time that they speak will be a designated time in the service. That is why there is two or three, because it is like a designated time where the prophet, those of gift of prophecy, those of the gift of tongues can come forward to share to the congregation. And in that time, while they speak one at a time, they will be speaking for a little while, not too long, a little while. And then there will be some asked if there is an interpreter. Is there an interpreter in the church? Is there anyone who understands what is being said? Is there one who God has given a word to who, who understood what is being said, who's been granted an interpretation? And we give opportunity. If there's anyone who comes forth, they can come forth and say, God has said this and this and this, and the congregation will be edified. And in the case of if there is no interpreter, then they will simply that those who have the gift of tongues who have been speaking will then simply go back into the crowd and they can continue speaking in tongues silently, not loudly, silently to the, to God and not to men. For that gift of tongues, that scenario was simply for them. It wasn't necessarily for the corporate environment for everyone else to hear as well. And there is no blame. There's no problem with that. It is not a sin. It is not wrong. If that happens, it is just part of the procedure. If there was someone who heard the speaking in tongues and was able to interpret, then the person who spoke in tongues may speak more if they are led. And then lastly, if there was an unbeliever in the fellowship in the church while they were speaking in tongues, and the unbeliever heard them speaking in their own language, then that is a miracle too. That is the manifestation of speaking in a foreign language through the gift of tongues for being a witness to the lost. And that is also good. Those are the things that can happen in a church environment. I have a personal experience and testimony to share with you regarding the gift of tongues in a corporate environment. Not long ago, I was in a church a fellowship and the worship leader was singing. And during the worship service, the father laid it on his heart to speak a few words in a tongue. And he spoke about two sentences in tongues. No one understood, but I heard what he said and the father granted me an interpretation of what he said. And after the worship service was completed, the elder came up and said, was there anyone who has a word, anyone who has anything to share? And I raised my hand and I said, yes, while the singer was sharing, speaking in tongues, I heard what he said. I had been given an interpretation and this was the interpretation. The father said two things. Number one, that he will be uniting the hearts of the sons with their fathers. And number two, that he will work wonders among them. These two points that the father was speaking through this man speaking in tongues, who gave me the interpretation for it, 
was incredible because it and it greatly impacted that fellowship. As soon as I gave the interpretation, people were awestruck and praising God for what he had proclaimed, the revelation he had gave. For there were many in that church who were parents and dads who didn't have good relationships with their kids and who needed to have the, their children's hearts reunited with the parents. Isn't that wonderful? A wonderful message of hope the father gave them. And the father also said, I will work wonders among you. And right in that service, the father indeed did do mighty wonders. He healed people and delivered. It was an incredible sight. This congregation, thankfully, was open and welcomed the gifts of the spirit and especially also the gift of tongues. The leaders welcomed it. And so the fruits of the spirit is manifested, including love and revelations can be brought forth. Revelations that are direct messages from God that can't always be accessed in other ways besides for the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy if the father so chooses to do it in that way. In terms of speaking in tongues for the sake of personal edification, that goal of personal edification we have talked about, we need to talk about what that looks like practically. It is a very simple thing. The father will lay it on your heart to speak in tongues or you will go forth in action and speak in tongues. It is not something that you only have to do when the father tells you to do it. Rather, just like the father doesn't need to tell us to pray for healing, we can just go forth and pray for healing because he already told us to do it. He already told us to pray for healing. He already told us to pray in tongues. And Paul himself said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. I want to submit to you the kind of tongues he prayed in more than all was the personal prayer language. And that was a source of much of his great revelations that he shares with us throughout his New Testament writings. The gift of tongues was exercised by Paul on a constant and consistent basis. And the father gives us the gift of tongues. We can walk in the two on demand anytime we wish by an action, by simply opening up our mouth and speaking in faith in tongues. And so we speak in faith and we speak words, words we do not understand, mysteries in the spirit, not to men, but to God. And then the father gives revelation. He gives oftentimes visions. He gives knowledge. He gives counsel and guidance. All these things are things which are then supernaturally deposited or downloaded, if you will, into our spirit when we pray in tongues, because when we pray in tongues, we are bypassing the carnal mind and the spirit prays for us, intercedes for us. And it's a good thing for the spirit to intercede for us because our carnal mind often gets in the way of our prayers. And we oftentimes pray things that are outside the will or out of line of the will of God when we simply pray with our carnal mind. That is why when we pray in the spirit, we can pray more in line with his will and we can see his will come go forth better in our lives. And so that's why speaking in tongues on a personal level is important. It is hard to describe to you the boundless uh, uh, benefits of speaking in tongues if you have never done it yourself. But I will tell you that Paul did it and it was possibly his great secret to his growth and revelations.
And so I want to encourage you to seek the gift of tongues. If you desire it, if there is any desire in your heart, that desire has been given to you by God for the carnal mind does not desire the spiritual things of God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit has given you that desire and therefore it is your responsibility to run after it and seek it. We will now discuss the gift of interpretation. It is important for us to discuss this gift because it is so closely linked to the gift of tongues. And if we don't understand the gift of interpretation, well, we may not understand the gift of tongues accurately. First off, what is the gift of interpretation not? Well, the gift of interpretation is not when an unbeliever understands what is being said by someone who speaks in tongues. Because an unbeliever does not possess the Holy Spirit nor the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he cannot possess the gift of interpretation and he cannot interpret the tongue that is given when a man speaks in a different heavenly tongue that is not a foreign language. When an unbeliever understands the gift of tongues, it is in the event of when God gives us a foreign language to speak while we are speaking in tongues. And then that unbeliever understands what we are saying because we are directly speaking their earthly language. This is important to understand because the gift of interpretation is for believers. And this is how it simply works. I have experience in the gift of interpretation. And so I'd like to explain it to you from that perspective. The gift of interpretation comes to good use when another man speaks in tongues, not in a earthly foreign language or anything like that, but rather opens his mouth and simply speaks in faith in a language that is heavenly and not understood by the carnal mind because it bypasses the carnal mind completely. The gift of interpretation or those who have it can then hear the language of this man who is speaking in tongues. And even though the, the interpreter's carnal mind does not understand what is being said, he can't hear it with his fleshly ears and it doesn't come in the form of English then to his ears. Rather, it comes in the same form as when it leaves the mouth of the person speaking in tongues. And that is not intellectual. It's not something you can understand. It's not something you can um, decipher with your carnal mind or your fleshly ears. Rather, it is deciphered by your spirit. And therefore, those with the gift of interpretation will be receiving a revelation as the other person speaks in tongues. And so I am saying this so that when you if you receive the gift of interpretation or seek it, you won't be expecting to hear someone speak in your own language. Because that's not what the gift of interpretation is. It is when someone speaks and you receive it, but it is not your carnal mind that's going to process it. It's going to be your spirit and you will be then receiving um, the revelation of your spirit. For example, 
When I used the example of that assembly I was at when the man spoke in tongues and I was granted an interpretation, I was not hearing him speak English. I was not hearing him speak a language I understand. I was hearing him speak things that I didn't understand with my carnal mind or my ears. But as soon as I heard it, suddenly in my mind, the father deposits the message. That is the interpretation. That is how I can now then go forth and say what the interpretation is so that everyone in English can understand what is being said. So they may be built up in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 13. Paul writes, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. I myself was given the gift of tongues quite a few years ago, and a few years after that, I prayed that I may interpret. And the father granted me the gift of interpretation too. And that is very handy, if you will, and important an important gift to be sought within the body. And I encourage you to consider seeking that gift, especially if you can speak in tongues too, because then you will be able to have the gift of tongues work more effectively within a environment that is corporate, where uh, the tongue can be deciphered uh, or and understood for the edification of others. And so in conclusion of part one of this teaching, let us conclude with the three goals and how the gift of tongues should be reaching them. Number one, the gift of tongues is for believers and unbelievers. And when we talk about a corporate environment, it is for the spirit to bypass the flesh to speak to the body corporately. And believers by the gift of interpretation in a believer or to unbelievers by speaking in a different earthly language. Both believers and unbelievers can receive a message from God by the gift of tongues, whether that is for unbelievers by the one who speaks in a tongue to speak in their foreign earthly language, or if it's for believers, when the believer Understand what is said by the heavenly tongue language when there is an interpreter giving interpretation for unbelievers in terms of a personal encounter. It's to reverse the curse of diverse languages at the Tower of Babel. So the language would not stand in the way of sharing the gospel. It allows a believer to speak in a different foreign language. And then number three for believers on a personal level for their personal edification. As according to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. It bypasses the mind. It allows for personal spiritual growth, receiving visions, revelations and guidance. The mind is also unfruitful in uttering the words, as in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, where it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. And we read this in Romans 8 verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searched the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever tried to pray, but you don't know what to say? You don't have the words to utter. You don't know how to say what is in your heart or in your spirit to the father. Well, 
The gift of tongues for personal edification is useful for that. As we read in Romans, it allows us to pray through the spirit because we bypass the mind and we can now pray things through groanings that cannot be uttered. That means that you cannot utter what you want to say in your language. You cannot say it, but through groanings, through praying in the spirit, something that the flesh by is by bypassed. The, the flesh doesn't understand it bypasses the flesh. The spirit can make intercession for us to the father. And that's what we can do through this gift of tongues. And so I hope that this has blessed you this part one of the complete speaking in tongues teaching. In part two, we will be looking at more important topics, and I want you to join me for that. We're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and whether the gift of tongues is something that is always given at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're also going to look at the counterfeit or demonic tongues on how to deal with that. It is an important topic and I would like you to understand the counterfeit, because if we don't understand the counterfeit, it may persuade us to leave the original. And then last but not least, certainly not least, we're going to talk about how do we start walking in the gift of tongues if we desire it. Join me in part two, because I believe it will bless you with almost everything there is to know about this spiritual gift. I hope this in-depth teaching has blessed you. Blessings and shalom. To watch part two of the speaking in tongues teaching, please click the link on your screen. Now you will be able to go through to that teaching and watch part two. I would like to give a special thank you to all the patrons and partners who have made this in-depth teaching this month possible, as well as every other teaching. May God bless you and keep you. And if this has blessed you, consider becoming a partner too. Shalom. Thank you.